You have 24 minutes. You have 24 minutes. The podcast from 24 Hour Nation. 24 Hour Nation's website, podcasts, and webinars are for professionals, business owners, and volunteers who are interested in the nighttime economy and in urban night issues in their community. 24 Hour Nation is also designed for intrepid travelers who have a nose for new and intriguing nighttime experiences in U.S. cities. Today, you will hear from Haley Harold, Executive Director of the Safe Bar Network. The Safe Bar Network provides bar training, bystander intervention training, sexual assault training, and sexual harassment training. We'll hear about active bystander training in particular and how this could benefit your bar, club, or restaurant. My name is Randall White, host and curator for 24-Hour Nation, where we offer updates, insights, and conversations about nighttime economies in American cities. Follow us online at 24hournation.com and on social media at 24-Hour Nation. Haley, on any given night in any city, there are bar and restaurant employees who notice things. They see behaviors between customers or between staff even or staff and customers that that are uncomfortable that they don't quite know what to do about you know it's like you think that's having waited tables you know having been in the service sector i i have seen that what do i do what do i do so safe bar network the organization which you are at the helm of uh, does what it calls active bystander training now this was kind of a new thing to me but it needs to become part of the vernacular of anyone who goes out at night and anyone who works in the nighttime sector. So tell us a little bit about in the next 24 minutes, what are a couple of things you want people to know about Safe Bar Network and active bystander training? Thank you, Randall, so much for inviting me on your podcast. Um, What I want people to understand, a few things. First, we are all already doing things to increase safety and prevent people from being hurt. There's this misconception that you have to have um, a superpower or a whole separate set of skills to check in and help people out. And I want people to um, give themselves some credit and recognize you're already doing things to keep the people around you safe and make sure that they're having a good time and that they're comfortable, regardless if you're someone who's going out to a bar, someone who works at a bar, or maybe a a community leader. Um, And the second thing is that when we come together and we have conversations about noticing when people are uncomfortable and unsafe, figuring out what we're gonna do to interrupt to help, and then um, supporting each other in doing those things that we can create workplace cultures and nightlife uh, cultures where part of working hard, part of having a good time in that space is looking out for each other. Um, saying something, doing something, checking in when you notice someone's not having a good time. So those are those are the two big things that we want everyone to know. Okay, so that's great. So again, just to reinforce at, at the end of this 24-minute section, um, um, anybody listening will understand that there are things that people are already doing or people already have the capacity to do to make the nightlife experience safer for themselves and for others. Um, uh, particularly employees of organizations, businesses, licensed businesses, uh, particularly uh, that they can um, help their customers 
have a safe experience. And then secondly, that we're trying to build a work culture here where there's a team effort also in responding to these situations so everybody knows what their role is, right? And that's a bit what Safe Bar Network does. So tell me, somebody contacts you and says, hey, Haley, I've got I've got a couple of bars that I manage in Stillwater, Oklahoma. I can I can use Safe Bar Network's support on this. What what do they do? Yeah, we we get on the phone or we sit down and have a conversation um, and learn about their venue. What makes it great? What challenges they face? um, Who makes up their team? Uh, Do they have full time employees or lots of part time employees or some mix? Is it a mom and pop shop? And then we have a conversation about some of the times when they've noticed that someone's uncomfortable or unsafe and um, what they did to help or maybe things that they wish they would have done. Um, and it's really a conversation that centers around our values. We want to build trust with our partners. We want to model accountability. We want to show each other mutual respect and we want to build connection and offer support. Um, so that's that's the very first thing. So making sure that our values align and that the, the members that we're working with are committed to increasing safety, recognizing that nobody is perfect and everyone starts from somewhere. And what we help our partners do is just continue to learn and grow and um, keep this conversation about safety alive in their workplaces. Um, so that that's the start. From there, we share all of the benefits of joining the Safe Bar Network. The Safe Bar Training Conversation is just one of those benefits, the training itself. We also um, provide just all kinds of support um, when issues arise in venues, connecting people with local local folks that can help them solve those issues or can provide them some expertise or some support. We want to celebrate them for their commitment to safety. And then um, we have a whole host of other things that we've learned from our, our other members across the nation that we, we disperse and we share. So ideas on a code of conduct, tips, all of our member venues uh, had an issue with overconsumption in the fall as people kind of came back out and and started, you know, venues started getting busier. They'd they'd been, you know, enjoying drinks in their homes and and in these different environments, they were, more people were were struggling. So we provided lots of support around that. That's just a a few of the ways that we um, continue to support our members outside of the training itself. Now, I see from uh, your website, safebarnetwork.org, you do have bars that are members and from across the country. You know, um, and they're not not particularly assigned to a particular area of the country. So somehow or another, you've managed to get this reach. And um, uh, how does how does a bar become a member? Or how does a restaurant become a member of Safe Bar Network? Yeah, it's really simple. They just make a commitment to partnering with us to increase safety in their venue and continue having having this conversation all, all year long. So um, the training is either the start of a conversation about recognizing uncomfortable and unsafe situations, interrupting to help and creating a workplace focused on safety. For some of our venues, it's a midpoint. They've already started this conversation. It's built right. into the values of their venues. Um, And then beyond that, we continue to support them. We have conversation guides and new hire toolkits. Um, What we've recognized is that bystander intervention training for a long time has been focused on individuals. So I, as an individual, go to a training and I learn these bystander skills. Um, But the reason that that hasn't made measurable changes in environments or increasing safety is because I'm only one person. And in order for me to feel encouraged and comfortable and supported in using those skills, 
I have to know that my teammates at my venue have my back. Um, I have to know that the leadership has my back and is going to support me. If I have to tell a regular that it's time for them to close their tab and leave, um, I've got to know that I'm going to be supported in doing that. And that extends to customers who might be using those bystander skills too, regardless of, of who you are in the space. Um, if you notice something's not right and you check in to help, you say something, you create a distraction, um, you do something to try to change the situation, um, you've got to know that you're going to be supported because in all of these environments, you're dealing with people, oftentimes they've been drinking and things won't always go well. So that support is really key. So we've tapped into that. And what we um, ultimately help venues do is to get their whole team on board using active bystander skills, recognizing the unique abilities of every person on the team, their experience. Um, we have people who've been um, working in the hospitality industry for a long time, and they're very comfortable doing that direct thing, or they've gotten really good at distractions and kind of subtle ways to, to change what's happening. Um, and then we have other people who are brand new or maybe being bold is just not part of their personality. And the beautiful thing that happens in training and just beyond through having these conversations is that everyone in that space recognizes the role they play on the team and they know who to talk to. They know who to go to for support. They know not only what they're going to do to help when they notice someone's not having a good time or is uncomfortable, but they know what their coworkers are going to do. And that's really what leads to a change in the environment, not the individual skills, but this, this collective community or um, entire team approach to increasing safety. Well, that's really good. That's really good to know because I think so much of what I've seen about active bystander training has been about if you see something, you do something, get over yourself, figure out what it is that makes you want to pull up and not try to intervene. That's a, that's a lot of pressure on one person. But what you're saying is that in a team environment, of a, a restaurant or bar, or even I would assume a concert venue or some other place where there are any individuals, uh, sociable places uh, where um, uh, there might be a spark of something that happens that catches somebody's attention and think there's there's something going on here. And we have a responsibility not only to those customers, but to everyone else in this atmosphere of our business to uh, to try to mitigate it from developing into something else. Isn't that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something that goes on along with that, another misconception is that when we talk about increasing safety and we talk about harassment or assault, that the conversation centers on those most extreme examples. When in reality, when we provide training and with, we facilitate conversations about the times people were unsafe or uncomfortable and what to do about it, the conversation actually centers 10 steps before, right? Sure. So we want to help teams identify when, when is that moment when something's starting to happen, someone's starting to test boundaries and see what they can get away with in your give venue. Me, give me a couple of examples of that. What, when, when, what triggers 10 steps before? What, what is an example or two of something that um, a, white, a white person might see that go, this is not, I don't like how this feels. Yeah. The two, I can give you three of the most common, actually. Okay. So pressuring other people to drink. Oh, uh. Um, that is the first one. So we know that um, alcohol can change power dynamics in a situation. And if someone's pressuring another person to drink, it's really hard for, for that person in this social environment to um, put the brakes on that or to refuse that or to, you know, assert like, I, 
I just want a beer. I don't want a shot or I'm good with water. I'm not drinking tonight. Um, so that's, that's the one we talk about all the time in the training conversation. Another one is um, buying drinks for someone and expecting something in return. So I have bought you this drink and now it entitles me to your time or, or maybe a whole lot more. And then the third one is um, just getting in people's space, uh, you know, waiting for someone's friends to, to go get a drink or go to the bathroom and taking that time to approach that person when they're alone um, or grabbing somebody when they walk by, um, especially in a busy atmosphere. I'm sure you've seen this sure. where someone's walking past and a person takes that opportunity to touch them. We, we help people identify patterns of behavior. So um, it's one thing when something happens once, someone grabs one person when they walk by, but it's another thing when they continue to do that, especially when they've been corrected or, or told no, or the person flinched or whatever their reaction was. And then the other thing is, is understanding how power and control plays out in the hospitality industry, in a bar, in a restaurant, in an event venue. And then once, once we can start to see power and know when it's shifting, um, it becomes a lot easier to think of all of the options to intervene. Um, I've had um, people tell me uh, many, many times uh, after training, when we've checked in, you know, a month later, or maybe we're back six months later providing training. Like after we had this conversation, I started to see things that I mm. never saw before. And I right. know they, they were happening the whole time, but um, understanding how people try to shift power in situations really opened my eyes. I think of it like when you buy a red car and then you see red cars everywhere. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, right. No, exactly. One of the things that interests me about this, though, is that one of the things I heard a lot from the service industry during the height of the pandemic, the pandemic certainly not over yet, but was that that's a role that was put on um, uh, service industry professionals to suddenly be health monitors. You know, they had to tell people, you got to pull your mask up, you can't come in, and it created an horrible burden, I think, on staff of restaurants, because it seems like somebody else wasn't doing their job. Who knows? But anyway, do you find that some service industry professionals go, oh, gosh, I've got to do this, too? It's bad enough that I have to, you know, does it feel like a burden to some people? Or is that part of the team thing that dispels some of that anxiety? It does not feel like a burden to people. I think people feel good talking about the times they've noticed people are uncomfortable and unsafe and figuring out solutions. So the first half of our training conversation, we're just applying three ideas. How do people test boundaries? How do people use alcohol as a tool to excuse their poor behavior or hurt others, make others vulnerable? And then when have you seen isolation? And the whole first half, people are applying those three ideas and talking about times they've seen that in their venue. And then the second half of training, we're introducing active bystander skills and this team approach or this collective approach. Um, and then we're bringing those scenarios back and we're solving problems that they have every day. So yeah. the things that people are most interested in talking about or the things that feel most challenging, that's what we talk about in the second half of training. Um, and so people leave with things that they can go and do on their next shift. Right. Um, and outside of that, and more importantly than that, they know exactly who they can count on to support them. They know uh, that coworker, they just spent an hour having conversations with, uh, in small groups mostly, and then sharing with the large group. So they've spent an hour connecting with their coworkers around this idea and building trust. 
and building respect and um, helping each other to be accountable, um, knowing who they can go to for support and connecting with each other. Um, and uh, after every training, um, we get really positive feedback and the staff at venues feels really empowered, even if coming into training, they were hesitant or, you know, maybe they were sitting with their arms crossed, really unsure of what was going to happen and what they were going to be um, told or asked to talk about. Um, by the end, everyone is relaxed and having a good time. One of our goals is that people feel comfortable talking about the times they've noticed someone's uncomfortable and unsafe and brainstorming ideas, because we know if they feel comfortable in that hour with an outsider there as the facilitator, right. that they'll continue to feel comfortable when we leave and, you know, they're talking to each other as they roll silverware, they're prepping for the night, sure, they're sure. up after an event. Sure. Now tell me the, uh, we, it, it is after all the hospitality business and we are individuals that when we go out as customers, we want to, to know that we are going to be in a safe place of where people take care of us and they take care of us well, and there's conviviality. And, and so from that perspective, the more that customers know that they're going to be in a safe, caring place where people are looking after them, the more I'm going to spend more money there, the more I'm going to come back, the more I'm going to be people with me. So from a selfish perspective, from the service industry professionals and the business owners, it seems like it's more, it would be more to their advantage from tips and profits to provide this service to customers. Am I not right? You're absolutely right. And all of our member venues have seen exactly that. Um, an, an outcome of training that I didn't anticipate, but has, has absolutely been true is that it also builds camaraderie and bonds the team uh, and it has helped retain staff. Not sure. only do people want to go out and in, enjoy a great meal or a great drink in a place that's safe, they want to work in a place that's safe too. Um, and so the benefits have been twofold. Particularly in an environment where um, employment is not quite returning to some of the service industry um, sector as, as much as people would want, you want to be able to have that additional um, value for the employee to work there, to feel like this is going to be a place, this is part of what we're doing is we're, we're, we're creating safe, hospitable places and, and probably making better tips as the result. So one of the other questions I had was about insurance. Does this... For a business, are we at a point yet for, for liability insurance for businesses that if they participate in a program like this, that insurance companies are going, oh, I, I, I'm going to be able to take money off of your insurance rate because of this. Are we there yet? I think we are. Yeah, we're working with um, one insurance company right now so that they have a technical term. I think it's like a safety credit or something right, like that or right. risk reduction credit. I don't know. the. Exact that term, probably, but, that sounds like something somebody would come up with risk reduction yeah. credit. Okay. Yeah. We're actively working on that. And that's really being driven by some of our early um, founding member venues um, because they have noticed that um, they're dealing with less issues. Their managers have less problems at the end of the night. Things are, es are not escalating to the point where um, their security staff has to, you know, fit, get physical with people and remove them. Right. Um, and so they've been really driving that because they have seen the benefit. They feel like their risk has been reduced and they want 
course, they want their insurance company to recognize that too. Sure, and and so and so one more time, just so I, I'm a I'm a bar owner owner in um, Salt Lake City, and um, I assume they have bars in Salt Lake City. But I'm a bar owner in Salt Lake City. I contact you. I say I would like to bring you on. What is that relationship going to look like? Over, I mean, you're going to do what? A couple of hours of training. Some of it might be in person. Some of it might be online. Tell me what that partnership looks like, and what does it cost me as a bar owner? Yeah, all of our trainings are in person. Um, so we know that, that this type of work is most effective when a whole team is together and they're in their venue. So we always provide in-person training. Um, we have lo- people local in every state in lots of cities who provide training. And if that's not the case, then um, we, have, we have folks on our team who will travel. Um, so the training piece is just one part of it. Outside of that, we work with our member venues to create a code of conduct and not one that they likely already have in their HR handbook or some kind of onboarding but one that is a living, breathing document that sounds like the venue um, that they can put QR codes to, or they can, you know, it's a one page, it's colorful, there's pictures um, that really, really tells people how to have a good time in that space, what that, what that business values that has been incredibly helpful to help customers know what's expected, but also helps um, employees be like, hey, that's just not how we have a good time here. It's, it's been um, great on both ends. Um, what we also help with um, if a venue wants to set up some uh, reporting so that their employees and their customers can let them know um, when they haven't had a good time we'll, um, or when they've experienced um, harm or been uncomfortable, we'll help them set that up. Um, we provide tips throughout the years, um, social norming documents. So we have posters for the back of the house, posters for the front of the house, resource cards, window cleans, all sorts of things to, to just further push this environment that they're trying to create that, that's safe. And then um, we have incredible support um, from a few big players in the beverage industry, as well as um, many of our member venues. We are a nonprofit, so when our members contribute to our work, they are making a, a tax-deductible donation that not only helps their venue receive training and this ongoing support, but helps other venues. And we have different levels um, okay. so that, you know, if you're a venue and you have four employees, <laughs> you can pay a cost that that isn't... Um, the scales so can, to what? Yeah, it scales. scales. So you. you can make a donation that feels feels good to you. Okay, this is wonderful. And we're almost out of time, Haley. See, it it flies, it flies by. I I do want to thank you. I do want to redirect anybody that might want to learn more about Safe Bar Network to go to your website, safebarnetwork.org, or to visit you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you're across social media, follow, listen to some of the testimonials, and, and decide whether you want to create a safe night out in your business for your customers and your employees and work together as a team to be a part of that solution because here is a resource for you that can be very helpful. Thank you, Haley, for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Randall. This has been Season 1, Episode 2 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation at 24hournation.com.